Well, as you know, this um, year we're doing um, A Year to Love. It's our theme for 2020. And we looked at the goals, which are to love God, to love others, and to create loving community. And that's kind of our theme for the year. And Matthew introduced our new series last week (sighs) called Let Love Be Your Highest Goal. And he talked about how um, Paul really anchored it down for the Corinthian church. And remember the, the church... Um, had a lot of diversity, but there was a lot of chaos going on in the church. And this is my paraphrase of the first bit that Paul said to the church. Look, guys, he said, you can be spiritual. You can have faith that moves mountains. You can speak in prophecies. You can be sacrificial. You can give everything. But if you don't have love, you're just a noise. If you don't have love, you don't gain anything. And that it's not enough to gain everything there is in the world. But if we don't have love, we're just like a noise. And then he goes on to pin it down practically. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 13. And this is going to be our series. We're going to look at the first part today. So let's read this together. And I would encourage you, why don't you, through this series, let's try to learn this passage of Scripture off by heart. Let's try and learn it together. So here we go. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Let love be your highest goal. So today, we're looking at the first one of these, which is patience. Love is patient. So thank you, Matthew. Of course, I planned that on purpose, you know, that you would have to be patient and wait for me. No, if only, but thank you for waiting for me, because today we're looking at patience. Now, how's your patience? Yes, when I was looking at this, Julian said, oh, what's your topic for the week? And I said, oh, um, I think I'm doing the first one, Love is Patient. And he just started laughing and left the room. And then he came back in, he went... Well, you could have done love is kind, but patience. He just started laughing and left. I'm like, right, okay. So, you know, we're all in the same boat, aren't we? And there's kind of a spectrum of patience. And the spectrum is this. that The spectrum is kind of like really amazingly, almost slowly patient. And then there's patient. And then there's mildly annoyed. And then down here, it's like, I have lost it. You know, and there's kind of a spectrum of patience. And, and I, I think a lot of patience is to do with waiting. Now, I find I don't really like waiting very much. I'm not very good at waiting. I'm one of those people, when I'm in the car, I'm like, I'm in the wrong lane. This is too fast. This is too slow. I know there's going to be a parked car there. I need to, you know, and I don't like waiting. I'm not very proud of that. And the thing I'm worst at, really, is that I must confess, and I have com- made a confession to you all before, that I have been a serial queue jumper in my life. But I have repented of it, and I don't think I do it anymore. And I think, I think I'm cured. But, but I was thinking, Julian reminded me, thank you so much, reminded me about my impatience of the time that 
kind of topped it all with my impatience is when, when the children were little, so this is going back like 20 years, when the children were little, now and then, I would treat myself and I would go to the ideal home exhibition in London and I'd buy a coach ticket, I'd get up really early, I'd get on a coach and I'd just have all that peace and quiet on the coach, no one talking to me for three hours, wander around the ideal home exhibition, get on the coach home, I just love doing that. So anyway, one time I arrived, <clears throat> I had my ticket in my pocket and as I walked up to Earl's Court, I saw that... that um, Normally, there's all queues on the steps. There's no queues. I was like, oh, this is like heaven. There's no queues at all. I can just walk straight up into the entrance. I got off the coach, started walking straight up into Earl's Court. And out of the corner of my eye, I noticed the thousands of people queuing up on the left and realised on my right, it went all the way around Earl's Court to the other side, standing outside. But I was already on a mission. I was already halfway up the steps. And I thought, well, it's nine o'clock, gates open, nine o'clock, this will be fine. Let's just see what happens. So I just walked straight up the steps, straight in the doors. No one stopped me, no one said a thing. Handed in my ticket, they said, thank you very much, gave me a pass. I think I walked in with such audacious confidence. They thought I was part of the, the Idle Home exhibition. So I walked in, I thought, oops. Uh, walked in, there's nobody there. I just had the place to myself. I thought, this is uncanny. You know, it is nine o'clock. Um, oh, well, people will be coming in behind me shortly, I'm sure. So I made my way to the show homes because that's what everyone wants to see, the show homes. And there's always a big queue and I don't like waiting. So I went to the show homes. I just went straight through, no queue. And then at the end, I got to the final thing and I was chatting to a couple of the people were organising it. And as I rested my hand on a kitchen cabinet they just put in and chatted, it was so sharp, it sliced my finger. And I said, like, oh no, that's a problem. They were like, oh, they were like, you know, health and safety, freaking out and everything. It was only, you know, it was a nice clean slice. So I said, uh, oh, that's a bit of a problem. They said, well, come with us to the first aid. It's just around the corner here. And they took me to this private little back part to be, you know, administer first aid for my cut. It's only like little cut, you know. So we're having a chat and I said, um, it's awfully quiet. I mean, it's gone nine o'clock, but it's awfully quiet here today. And they thought I was like one of the team or the organisers because the public weren't allowed in yet. And they said, well, of course, the public aren't allowed in yet because it's a royal visit today. <laughs> and so it's top security, so the public are being held at bay until the royal party have left. And I was like, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> so they did my banner. So they said, so you can go out that way, uh, and then you have to go all the way round down past B, past C in there. Um, uh, or you could just wait a minute. And I thought, well, I've just seen everyone going through this little door on the left. And I can see that goes straight out. There's no way I'm going all the way around. So when I said thank you very much and everything, I walked through this little door and I found myself kind of behind a display type thing. And I'm like, well, that's a bit odd. So I stepped around the display and found myself stood next to Prince Charles. <laughs> and I was like, oops. <laughs> I just stood there like I was supposed to be part of the group. So I was in a little entourage of five or six of us, stood next to him. I, I couldn't believe how small he is. He's really quite short, isn't he? He's quite small. He's doing this thing with his hand. And there was the display was this big car, and there was this brand new big car, and it was being demonstrated. And the big thing that I'd stepped behind was the big like display behind the car. So I stood there for a little while, just wondering if I was going to be floored by security or carried off or something like that. And then after a little while, um, they popped the boot to show him something. As he walked away, because all the cameras were there as well, all the cameras were taking pictures, I just slid away and went and had a cup of coffee. And that kind of cured me of cue jumping. That was the worst one. 
But I feel quite ashamed telling you that. It's not brilliant. So I, I, don't, I don't like waiting very much. I'm a terrible queue jumper. But strangely, at the same time, I found, as you know, Julian and I look after his parents who have... Sheila has Alzheimer's, she's 88, and John has vascular dementia, he's 91. And uh, we care for them full time. It's quite difficult and tiring. But when Sheila was still mobile, I could take her out. I'd take her out for coffee, take her for a haircut, go and get her makeup done in boots, or take her to the doctor. And I'd have her in the car, and she'd ask me the same question over and over and over. Where's my bag? Do I have my bag? Do I need my purse? No, no, we didn't bring your bag today. Okay, fine. Where's my bag? Do I have my bag? No, we didn't bring your bag today. Oh, where's my bag? Have I got my bag? Have I got my purse? Just over and over and over. And I found it just, I just didn't find it irritating at all. I was shocked. I just literally, it wasn't like I was trying to overcome it. I just didn't find it irritating. And I couldn't tell whether, you know, I have more love for Sheila than Prince Charles, <laughs> whether, whether actually the root is love, whether it's love because I love her, um, because I know that every time she asks the question, it's brand new for her. So it's like me answering it for the very first time. But also I just feel it's God's supernatural grace in a difficult season that when love is involved, when the Holy Spirit is involved, our human impatience can dissolve away. And that's what we're going to look at today, really, is how the Holy Spirit can help us in our human weakness when naturally we would be impatient. Now, love in the dictionary, so this is why I think love, patience, love, patience, it all kind of, it's all wrapped up together. Now, in the dictionary, Oxford Dictionary, it says patience is this. Patience with somebody or something means the ability to stay calm and accept a delay or something annoying without complaining. That's interesting, isn't it? There's a number of things there. To accept a delay or something annoying, but also without complaining. The Cambridge Dictionary, they say patience is the ability to wait and to continue doing something despite difficulties or to suffer without complaining or becoming annoyed. So that's quite interesting. But I'd like to look at, one, in 1 Corinthians 13, in the Greek, what does it mean? When it says love is patient there, what is that Greek word that actually is used there in that passage? And it's actually a combination of two words put together. Now, the words put together is called macrothumio, okay? And it's two words put together. It literally means to have long patience, it means to patiently endure. It means a long time. So you imagine if you're looking at something in the distance, a long way away. And literally, the word macros means long or distant or far. And thumos, the word that puts together, means an outburst of passion. So it's literally the opposite of quick-tempered. So patience is the opposite. So quick-tempered is a quick reaction to something straight away. But patience is like long-tempered. It's like our response is a long, patient endurance. So that's what it's talking about here. So it doesn't mean just like surface things, like my bus is late, I'm going to be late, you know, surface impatience. But maybe we're struggling with a long-term illness or a personal situation that isn't going to be easily resolved. So not just the superficial things, but the long things. And this is talking about love is patient. And as we uh, cooperate with the Holy Spirit, his love in us helps us that our response is a long way. It's patient. 
So this is like the long game, waiting. This is like my worst, the long game, waiting. So it is all about waiting. What are your symptoms of impatience? What is it like for you? Because some things we can be really patient about and other things, you know. So in our house now, when our kids like to come over, the first thing they go for is the kettle. And the thing they always moan to me about, every single time, even when Rachel comes back from London, they always moan to me, your kettle is too slow. Okay, so this is an area of impatience. I don't know if you have this. Your kettle is too slow. So I timed the kettle, and I text Matthew, and I said, could you time your kettle? And he texts back, one liter in exactly two minutes. <laughs> so I reboiled mine. I measured one liter into the kettle. And would you like to know how long my kettle takes? <laughs> would you? Three minutes, 24 seconds, and whatever the 34 is. Okay, so this is the thing. If, if you're an impatient person, don't come to my house for a cup of tea because you might have to wait one minute, 24 more. And you see how impatient we are. Everything seems... Now, sometimes I think as parents, we create a hurry-up atmosphere for our children. Hurry up, hurry up, zip you up, hurry up, in the car. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And does it like creating them almost a thermometer of hurry up. And are there steps we can take in our hurry up world where we get up earlier or we get things ready the night before, we sit and make a plan, put reminder on our phone, what is it that it takes that we're not living in continual hurry up? So the other thing I was thinking is, why is love patient? When it says love is patient, it's not just about patience on its own, but love is patient. And I think it's because... Patience is an evidence or a demonstration of love to those in our life, those in our orbit. Because patience is an attitude that affects our life and affects the people in our life. It affects our relationships. So when we're pa we are patient, it communicates love to those around us. And when we're patient with God, it reveals trust that we know that he is in control and it's his timing. Now think of it the other way around. Sometimes it's easier to think. It's interesting, in the, diary, in the dictionary definitions, they gave examples of impatience. They couldn't like, find an example of patience. All the examples were the opposite of impatience. How does it feel to be around an impatient person? It feels uncomfortable. We feel judged. Not good enough. My efforts are too slow. My contribution is too poor. What I have to say is irrelevant. And so being impatient can damage our relationships. And being impatient can have consequences for our life. So we're going to look this morning at three benefits of patience. And these are benefits into our life. Now, there are many benefits, but, you know, we're only here for a morning. So I'm just going to figure on three, okay? And so the three benefits of patience we're going to look at, better decision-making, better relationships, and less stress. I think we'd all like that, wouldn't we? Yeah, we'd all say, I would like that. I've made a few poor decisions. Sometimes I mess up my relationships, and I'm definitely stressed. And so let's see how we can address this. So we're going to look at three stories from the Bible for each one of these. Number one, better decision-making, and this is looking at King Saul. Now, at this time in Israel's history, um, prophet, the prophet Samuel was taking care of Israel. And Israel looked around and saw that other nations had a king. And they kind of, it was a little bit rejecting to Samuel, really, but they said, hey, Samuel, find us a king. And so he did. And this is how he found him. In 1 Samuel 9, 9, this is what he says. Next slide, please. 
There was a Benjamite, a man of standing called Kish. He had a son named Saul, and this was his requirement for king. As handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. And it seemed like Israel wanted a king, so they wanted to choose a guy who looked like a king. So he was the most handsome man they could find in Israel and was literally head and shoulders taller than everyone else. Isn't it interesting? When Samuel went to anoint Jesse's sons, he was kind of like, no, you're too tall, you're too handsome. You know, he'd learned his lesson by then. And so uh, Saul got anointed king, literally head and shoulders above everyone else, age 30, and is anointed by Samuel. So now he's the new king, young, vigorous. I mean, his job was like going out, making sure the donkeys were okay, as in they'd like disappear over mountains. And here he was, he's suddenly king. And so Samuel needs to give him some instructions. And in 1 Samuel 10, 8, these are the instructions given to Samuel, uh, given to Saul. Go down, this is Samuel saying to him, this is what you've got to do, Saul. And these are like clear unambiguous instructions. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. And this is because Samuel's saying, look, when I come, because I, my role is prophet and priest, I'll bring the word of the Lord what to do because they were always up against the Philistines and I will bring God's blessing. And that was Samuel's role. That was his job. His job was to do the priestly things, the offerings, hear from God, give that to the people. And that's all he had to do was wait the seven days. And then we skip to 1 Samuel 13 and we find again the Israelites are faced by the Philistines and the odds are terrible. I mean, this is certain death now. They are horribly outnumbered, and the Philistines have got 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and the Bible says the soldiers were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. So the Israelites are terrified of this coming battle. And they're so terrified, they began to melt away, and they began to leave. So Saul obediently is at Gilgal waiting the seven days for Samuel. And while he's waiting, the troops start to leave. It says all the troops with him are quaking with fear. And so Saul is trying to G up his troops now. Come on, it's going to be okay. It's day five, it's day six. Samuel will be here soon. He's trying to keep a grip on the army. But the Bible tells us the Israelites ran away. They hid in caves, thickets, rocks, pits and cisterns. Some even crossed the Jordan and ran away. Now I pity the ones hid in thickets. You know, if the Philistines were coming, I'd rather be in a cave or a cistern, thank you. But in a thicket, I mean, that is a bit thick, to be honest, isn't it? So there we are. Dave Seven arrives and he's impatient. Finally, day seven. And he's watching for Samuel all the time. And his army are beginning to melt away. And Saul's like, I'm the new king. I've got to get a grip on this. Now he's commanded to wait the full seven days for the blessing and to receive Receive God's wisdom. He's a new king, but he's not a priest or a prophet. And he's waiting, waiting, day seven, day seven, day seven. And in the end, he says to his, his uh, followers, okay, bring me the burnt offering. And Saul went ahead and offered up the burnt offering himself. And just as he finished, Samuel arrived. And Saul went out to greet him. I think he's like quite proud of himself. Hey, I managed to do it myself. I'm not just a king. I'm a priest and a prophet too. And he goes out to greet Samuel. And Samuel says, what have you done? This was a terrible thing that he's done. 
He's taken the role of the priest and the prophet. He's shown he's not a fit king. And Saul starts kind of justifying himself. When I saw the men scattering, I thought the Philistines would come for me. We hadn't sought God. I kind of just did it myself. I felt compelled. I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. And Samuel says to him, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the commands the Lord your God gave you. And if you had, your kingship would have been established over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of the people because you've not kept the Lord's command. And this is devastating. Verse 15, then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah and Benjamin. He just left. And Saul counted the men who were left with him. They numbered 600. Now, as we know, after this, this is when... um, Jonathan and the armor bearer have an amazing battle where Saul is like licking his wounds in Gilgal. But this was a terrible mistake. Why was it such a mistake? He broke Samuel's command. The order was to wait, and that was clear. And he waited for the seventh day, but not the whole of the seventh day. And as we can see, he was minutes out. Just as he finished, Samuel turns up. Now Saul, he's like rushing on. And what it shows, he's not waiting for the blessing, and he's not waiting for the advice. And he offered God a sacrifice in his disobedience. So in his disobedience, he offers us a sacrifice, which is quite repellent already because he's in disobedience. Now when Samuel arrives, it's clear here, what kind of king is Saul going to be? Because he doesn't get it. He doesn't realize the significance of what he's done. He goes out to greet him like he's done a great thing. And then he blame shifts onto Samuel. He goes, well, you were late. You didn't come at the right time. You didn't come when I was expecting you. But of course, this is still the seventh day, but he just couldn't wait long enough. And he was kind of in desperate straits, but he didn't have the patience to wait the long time. And in his impatience, he plunged on. He said, I felt compelled. Now, what kind of king is it going to be that every time there's pressure, he feels compelled to act instead of waiting for the blessing or obeying God's instruction? And he kind of showed what king, what kind of king he was going to be. This would be a man responsible for the nation. But, but rather than seeking God's wisdom, being obedient, he just did his own thing. And that's not a safe king. And the waiting was a kind of test. And the pity is he was so close. Now, I kind of wondered when I read this, what would happen if Saul said, oh, Samuel, I'm so sorry. I, I, I thought maybe something had happened. You know, I've sent a messenger. No one's come back. I thought you were eaten by a bear. I know I shouldn't have done it, but I, I did it. Will you forgive me? Will God forgive me? Maybe if he was repentant, it would have been a different outcome. But instead, he kind of blagged it all off. You know, it's your fault, really. You weren't here. He doesn't get it, and he gets replaced by a king after God's own heart. And he lost his legacy for the want of minutes. And as we know, David becomes king. Now the sad thing is, after this thing happened, Saul still reigned for 42 years. But it was a really unhappy reign. So it wasn't like he lost it straight away, but his family never continued the kingdom. It was handed to someone else. And he had like a, a miserably became consumed by jealousy. He lost it and he died in battle age 72. So he had the looks. He was head and shoulders above. He got the throne. He got the anointing. He lost it all because of impatience. And that's our patience benefit number one learning better decision making by being patient. Okay, number two. 
Patients benefit, number two, better relationships. Now, do you remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? And God calls Abraham and sends him to a far-off land. And it says in Genesis 15, this is when Abraham is about 75 years old. And at this time, he's called Abram. So the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord. In other words, he's saying, with all respect, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? You know, he's saying, this is all going to end with me. And then the word of the Lord came to him. A son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside. I love that. I'd love the Lord to like take me outside and show me something. The Lord took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord and credited it to him as righteousness. Now we move the story forward 10 years. So now this is 10 years later. And Abraham is in Canaan. He's 85 years old. And there's still no sign of the promise. And so this is what happens. Here comes the impatient solution that affects everybody's relationships. His wife, Sarah, says this. Let's hurry up the promise. Let's make it happen ourselves. After all, God did say your own flesh and blood. That doesn't have to be me. So take my servant girl, Hagar, sleep with her, and let's see if we can have a family through her instead. And she was an Egyptian slave that they picked up in Egypt. Perhaps I can build a family through her, says Sarah. And so impatient for the promise, they try and make it happen themselves. And it all goes horribly wrong. Hagar, the servant girl, does indeed get pregnant. But then she lords it over Sarah and despises her. And then with this bad attitude, Sarah is miserable. She goes to Abraham. She blames Abraham. Wasn't really his fault in the beginning, but he did cooperate. So now Hagar, Sarah takes it out on Hagar. Hagar runs away. And there's all like a crazy chaos of relationships. And as Hagar runs away, an angel meets her and sends her back. In Genesis 16, the angel says this, call this child Ishmael. Your descendants will be numerous. This is an amazing promise that because it's Abraham's sort of half-son, that, well, it is his son, but not, you know, how it's supposed to be, that there will be a blessing of descendants, but there's a catch. Ishmael will be like a wild donkey, him against all and all against him. And the result of this trying to force the promise and make it happen themselves, Ishmael became a thorn in the side of Israel for generations. Sometimes our impatience has consequences for us and for others and for our relationships. And this causes damage in their relationships. But I want to bring some good news at the end of this story. Because this is like, it is a great lesson to us about impatience. But if you are waiting for a promise, listen to what happened later on. Genesis 18, 14, it tells us that three angels visited Abraham and Sarah And they prophesy that this time next year, she will hold a son in her arms. And she laughs. She says, am I not too old and tired now? She's nearly 90 at this point. And they reply, is anything too hard for the Lord? If you are still waiting for a promise, hear these words. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And in Genesis 21, it says this. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. Now, just pause for a moment that this is 90-year-old Sarah. Now, she used special creams to get this complexion. I just couldn't find a 90-year-old holding a newborn, okay? So, 
I'll find out, you can find out for me later the special creams to look like that when you're 90. Okay, Genesis 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. She's talking about the joy and the absurdity at 90 having a baby. It's incredible. I want you to hear these words if you're waiting. Abraham was a hundred. Sarah was 90. They waited 25 years for the promise. Sometimes it's a long game. These are the points I want you to take in if you're waiting for a promise. God has brought me laughter. That talks about the joy to come. Hold on for the joy to come. Don't be impatient. The Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. He fulfilled his promise. Has God promised you something? He will fulfill his promise. Not at the time we're thinking, but at his time. At the very time God had promised him, on God's own time scale, is anything too hard for the Lord? So be encouraged by this story if you're still waiting. Okay, number three, third benefit of patience. This is a real short one. This one, I find this one quite funny, and it's quite short. Number three, Genesis 29. This is about less stress. Okay, now Jacob, do you remember Jacob? Jacob stole his birthright. He ran away, ended up with Uncle Laban. Uncle Laban, even more tricky than Jacob. And he ends up working for him. But when he arrives, he falls in love with Laban's beautiful daughter, Rachel. And he goes to Laban and he says, can I marry your daughter, Rachel? And Laban makes him wait seven years. So he has to work seeing Rachel every day. He has to wait seven years to marry her. But the time rushed by, and in Genesis 29, I love this, it says, So Jacob served seven years to marry Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Ah, ah, isn't that nice? It only seemed a few days ah, because of his love. And there is something there, isn't there, about love, patience, patience and love, that it just went by in a flash, that seven years because of love. And it tells us, let love be our goal. Let love be our highest goal. To love God and receive his love. To give and receive love with others. To create loving community. And so we're going to look in the last kind of five minutes or so at some practical tips how to do this. So we've got the stories. Let them live in your heart. But here's some practical things. Two main things really. How are we going to develop patience? Well, the first one is, is a work of the Holy Spirit. And as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, remember we talked before about his love being filled with his love and his love flowing out of us. An apple tree produces apples because it's an apple tree. If we are a person of love, we will produce love. Galatians 5 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Their love will be oozing out of us. So we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We surrender our life to him. If you have believed in Jesus and given your life to Jesus, but you've not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit, let me encourage you, come and see us at the end. See your small group leader. Come and talk to us. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is being 
soaked in the Holy Spirit, that his river of life lives out through us. As we cooperate with him, we become more like Jesus. And his patience, like being in the car with Sheila, where is my bag, where is my bag? It is the love of God, it's the love of God, not the patience of Sarah, who cannot wait for anything. Number two, practical steps. So that's the first thing. The second one is this, practical steps. And if we have time, we might go through some of them. Are there practical things we can do that change things in our life? Have a think, what are the areas, what are the significant areas you're impatient in? Can I make practical steps or can I strengthen my mind with God's truth while I wait? Sometimes while we're on a long wait, we have to hold on to the promises and the truths of who God is to sustain us on that long journey. It's like taking a very good picnic with you on the journey. So I've done a few practical tips. Would you like to just hear a few bullet point practical tips, would you? I mean, like, I'm a practical person. I like to have something practical. I have done some little handouts that you can take these away. You don't have to write them all down or remember, but there's about 150 handouts at the front. If you would like to become more patient, maybe you can take that with you. It's just the practical tips. Okay, let's bomb through these. Now, some of these I studied long and hard on the internet about patience. Very interesting very interesting exercise. And there were some common themes. So I've brought up the common themes of kind of the wisdom in our world. But we've got to think, we've got to like unite this with the wisdom of living in the Holy Spirit. You get me? Okay? So some of these I'm not going to explain. I'm going to whiz through. Number one was this, that everybody said, patience comes by practicing patience. If you practice waiting, you get better at patience. And they even suggest you practice waiting like maybe by a slower kettle. And that you practice waiting. Yeah? You practice. And then maybe you might become more patient. Number two, practice gratitude. Now, research shows thankfulness makes us happier, less stressed, and more optimistic. I would say that's a better place to be patient. Number three, prioritize the importance Evaluate your schedule, which might be your day or your week or your month. You evaluate it and you delete the things that aren't important but take up time. Hmm. Number four, now this is kind of linked. Number four, traffic jam brain. Literally, this is when in our head, we literally have got competing tasks and priorities in our thinking, making us feel stressed. And they're competing with each other, and suddenly another one will pop in, and another one. And because it's like a mental to-do list, we're jumping from task to task. And this brain multitasking mode adds up to a state of hurry, where we always feel under pressure and not at peace because of the traffic jam jumping around in our brain, literally. And what happens is this. It diminishes our capacity for patience. Because it's very hard to be patient when these competing tasks are like a traffic jam in our heads. So we have no capacity, we lost our capacity. And the result is we can actually be paralyzed from significant action. The things that if we did them, we'd stop feeling stressed about them. We can't because our mind is too busy. And the default mode is this. If our mind is busy with these competing tasks, we end up to solve that need to achieve something. We go and 
do smaller tasks. We go and com complete smaller tasks because we feel now, I feel busy, feel like I'm doing something, but it's not actually productive. It's not in any way getting on with the big tasks that are making us feel stressed. We're just doing the little ones to kind of make us feel temporarily better. Anyone witness with that? I think we all do, that's right. And so there's no progress, there's just more stress. So what do we do about that? Write your tasks down and prioritize them one at a time. There is a value in slowing down. Now, years ago, multitasking was the thing, wasn't it? We're all multitasking. But actually, they've shown now multitasking is so detrimental because our mind can't actually focus on anything. And it takes a little bit of time to come out of one thing and into another. But we think we're multitasking, we're faster, but actually it's detrimental. Anyway, number five, self-aware. Oh, I love a bit of self-awareness. Factors that hinder our capacity for patience. Number one, the habits we develop. Maybe habits we've developed over our life that really war against a patient attitude. Number two, our ability to regulate our emotions. Now, you know children can't really regulate their emotions. You know, they're happy, they're sad, they're fun, they're excited. But as we grow into adulthood, we need to mature. We don't just respond to everything emotionally, but we learn to regulate our emotions. And the Holy Spirit will help us with this, with the fruit of self-control. Number three, also to manage our expectations. Sometimes we have an expectation for something when it's not realized, we have an attitude to that, that wars against our patience. These things are self-explanatory. Number six, I like this one, physical factors. Overtired, hungry, ill, stressed, these things all affect our patience. The other thing in the list was this, too hot. If you're too hot, you can't be patient. Now, nowhere anywhere could I find too cold. Isn't that funny? Now, I'm sure there are several people here that you are very impatient if you're too cold. I've enjoyed taking Julian on many a cold, windy walk along the beach to find him like yards behind me going, can we go now? Because <laughs> it's just too cold. But apparently, being too hot is the one. We can do something about these physical factors. They are in our control. And number seven, the last one, embrace the uncomfortable. Now, this makes me think of Bear Grylls. I mean, he spends his life, doesn't he, embracing the uncomfortable. But think about this, and this is some advice. Sometimes in life, we have to go through stuff that is unavoidable. And we can either do it with complaint or with patience, but we still have to go through it. So supposing we have to go through a difficult journey. We can either do it complaining all the way, or we can do it with patience. Either way, we have to go through it. And patience really affects the quality of our life, to be able to go through difficult times still with God's joy in our heart. James 1, 2-4 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That's the long patience. And let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So today, that's today's talk. Love is patient. Let's encourage one another to surrender to the Holy Spirit because it is his love flowing through us that will help us to demonstrate love to those in our lives through patience. And also for us to make better decisions, build better relationships, and live a less stressful life.
Let's pray. I think, why don't we just pray our own prayer for a moment and ask the Lord to help us. You know, like Saul could have just turned around and said, oh Lord, I'm sorry for my impatience, help me. Let's just pray that prayer. Lord, I thank you for these stories in the Bible that really help us when we see ourselves mirrored in the story trying to make the promise happen early or rushing ahead. Thank you for the story of Jacob, how it seemed a few days because of his love. Lord, we want to be those people, like a man like Jacob, full of love for his sweetheart. We want to be people knowing your love in our lives, that you help us, that it just flow out of us, so we can be patient with our friends, our family, our children, our work colleagues, with perhaps a difficult situation, with a long-term illness, Lord, come to us today, I pray, and that by your power, your power in us, we will become a more patient people, that people see your love in our hearts. So we thank you for that. I ask for every person here, Lord, you will help us this week, that you will challenge us, comfort us, help us to go in the power of your spirit. Amen.